join me, we'll go to uh, the little book of 1 John. And uh, right now it's my intention until the pastor puts me on the back bench to uh, go through this uh, little book um, verse by verse. And we'll just do a series on it. And um, John, you know, was part of the Lord's inner circle with uh, Peter and James and uh, you know he was known as the beloved disciple but you know the thing is he never claims that he loved Jesus but he, what he was amazed about was that Jesus loved him and uh, he the Lord allowed him to you know write five books of the Bible and we see the uh, gospel of John telling us how to get saved we see first second and third John teaching us how to live, and then we see in the Revelation that he tells us what's going to come. And uh, if you haven't read the last chapter, we win. And, uh, you know, we've got the victory in Christ. We, we have some battles that we yet have to fight, and, uh, but by the grace of God, we can fight them and win. And uh, the thing is, we, uh, in these little epistles, he gives us... Um, guidance on how to relate to one another and to relate to our Lord. We um, see here that he's writing this letter probably about 90 A.D., so about 57 years uh, after the death of our Lord. Uh, John is probably a man in his 80s when he's writing this book. Uh, You see phrases in there where he talks to the people and he says, my little children, Uh, just a real tender-hearted. You know, here's a man... Recorded in the gospel when a town didn't want to receive their message, he asked God or the Lord Jesus, can we call down fire and uh, brimstone from heaven just to burn them up? Uh, you know, here, you know, uh, to a, an elderly saint who God has worked on his heart and given him the, the opportunity here to, as he relates to people to use phrases like my, uh, to my little children. Uh, the tenderness that's uh, encapsulated in those words, and yet God the Holy Spirit allowed him to write them so we know that was really where his heart was at. Um, He's writing a a letter. It's a personal letter to believers in Christ, and you don't have to worry what the little book is about because during the course of the book, in four of the verses, he tells us what his purpose is, and the first one is to produce joy. Can you think of, as you walk through this life, wouldn't we like to just know that our life is full of joy? And God tells us the recipe for having joy in this life, in these books. In fact, we're going to look at the, in the first four verses tonight when we get started there, and that's what, the, what we're going to be looking at. He also later, he, he wants to prevent sin, he wants to prepare the saints, and he wants to provide assurances. This little book is this little book has been known as the letter that's called the Epistle of Certainties. And uh, and one of the reasons is is John uses the word no thirty eight different times in this little five chapters. God wants you to know some things. He doesn't want you to be in doubt about things. A lot of it is he draws a lot of contrast between people who if you have these things in your life, you're saved. If you don't have these things in your life, don't be confused about it. Realize that you probably need to get saved. Uh, John, like I said, his deal is designed about certainties. 
this little book that wants to bring assurance into our life. Don't sit there in doubt. If you know that you're saved, because the scriptures can bear fruit to that, can bear witness to that, give you indications that if these things are part of your life, you're saved. If they're not there, don't be deceived. Realize that you need to accept the Lord Jesus. It's also 33 different times in the book the word love is used. Again, when you get to thinking there's only five chapters, and 33 different times the word love is used in it. I can't think of a more tender little book in the Bible as far as God tenderly using this man to write this book to express his love to us and try to instill in us assurances of his love for us and how to live this life today. And we'll look at the uh, first four verses. I've been told already that I have to vacate by eight, but that's usually... My problem is is I can study for hours and then teach it in 15 minutes if I'm not careful. Um, But um, in verses 1 through 4, the first John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our, our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full." We see here that he's um, of the person in the beginning, of the person that he's writing about, and he's speaking of the eternalness of Jesus Christ in the beginning here. And, you know, the thing is, as you study and you listen to people, you hear people talk, you can talk about religion all you want. Just don't mention Jesus. I mean, people go on and on and on talking about Allah, talking about Buddha, talking about anything else, and no one gets their feathers ruffled. You mention the name Jesus, and people say, well, we're not here to talk about religion. And the reason is, he makes a difference, doesn't he? He makes a difference. And, and he's a dividing. But the thing is, he's trying to woo us to the Father. He came down so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be a child of God. You know, a lot of people look around at mankind, and yes, we're created beings, but so are the trees, Right? Just because we're created doesn't mean we're a child of God. And so a lot of people walk through the life and say, well, I'm a person and God's all full of love, so, so he's got to take me to heaven. Well, all the trees aren't going to heaven. You know, and he created them too and all the animals and everything else. But the thing is, he does love us and he proved it by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us. But we have to accept that free gift. We have to accept the pardon that's been offered to us by having our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the thing is, John knew this, and even though everybody else wants to talk about everything else but Jesus, John knew that without Jesus, everything else was going to turn out bad. And so his focus is always on Jesus. And if you look at any of his books, the Gospel of John, and you look at the epistles and the book of Revelation, it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because without him, we have no hope. But with them, 
Not only do we have hope of salvation, but we have fellowship with him. We can have fellowship, and we can have the joy that comes from that fellowship. And we see that in the um, Gospel of John, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is God the Son. He's not just the Son of God, but he's God the Son, and nothing was created without him. And uh, and you may wonder why someone says that so much, or if you're around me much, you'll hear me say it, because there is a lot of false religions out there that claim that Jesus is a created being, and they deny his deity, and without him being 100% God, he could not have resisted the temptations that he had, because he also had a body that was able to be tempted, and he was tempted, but without sin. And because of that, he could be our substitute on the cross. Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 17, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And so the eternalness of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is God the Son, manifested in the flesh for us. And we see John talking about his experience. You know, he knew what he spoke of. Um, it isn't a second-hand account that we're getting. John is speaking to us about things that he experienced with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How can your senses, the senses that we have, how can they experience eternal life? How can we get a handle on eternal life like that? Well, the way we get our senses can wrap our mind around eternal life is the fact that Jesus came in the flesh and these men saw him heard him handled him as John is telling us and they have related it by the power of the God the Holy Spirit through his word and we get a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and through that we get a picture of God himself and his actions and everything else that we see here he sits there and he says that he heard in the, in the first verse. And it says, you know, not others, but he heard. He's given us an account of what he heard. And he had seen. He saw how he handled himself in different circumstances. Just think of all the different people that Jesus ran into over the three and a half years that these apostles were with him. Just think of the annex that the apostles themselves came up with and other disciples that were with them, and how our Lord Jesus Christ related to them, and how he handled everything. Think of his long-suffering. Think of his patience. Think of the love that he showed to people. And it's all recorded for us in the gospel. Why is it able to be recorded? Because these men experienced it firsthand. And their heart is in the words that they used, and God the Holy Spirit used these human instruments to use their own vocabulary, their own life experiences to relate to things and give us an accurate account of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry and how he conducted himself and revealed to us. Does anyone doubt that it would take God to behave like Jesus behaved? With all, I mean, I tell you what, you have me hanging on a cross, bleeding out, and some guy's rocking his head and mocking, said others he could save, but himself he couldn't save. If Rick's up there and I had the power of God and I wasn't God, you're in hell, you're out of hell. You're in hell, you're out of hell. (laughs) 
You know, we'd get that smile wrapped right off your face, wiped right off your face. And, and then the last deal was you just get to stay. You know? <laughs> uh, but here he is hanging on the cross, and these people are, I mean, can you, have you ever, is there anything more that just really get than mockery? I mean, someone wagging his head, and you're God, and they're, and they're mocking him like that. I mean, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so there is no doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly walk was God. And yet we also get to see how long-suffering and loving our God is. And what does that convince us of? Well, what it convinces me of is how much he's approachable. He loves us. He's not there looking for us to mess up so he can get us. He's there rooting for us. He's there encouraging us. The Bible teaches us that it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. He wants us to see what's in our own best interest and leave sin behind. And when we come to the saving knowledge of Christ first, but then after we get saved, realize, boy, these things that you're substituting fellowship with me over, boy, you're, you're, you're cutting yourself real short. And one of the things that I find that keeps people, I think if we would look at it carefully, that keeps us away from the Lord, be it those that don't get saved. And, we, and you know, I didn't get saved the first time I heard the gospel. I don't know why I didn't get saved. I can't remember. I think I was confused that I thought I was saved for a while. But when the light came on, I got saved, thank God. But, but the thing is, I think the thing that keeps us away from the Lord, even after we get saved and we go around and we're playing with things that we know are going to bring, it's pride. Would you agree with me? And yet pride is such a poor substitute for what we could have in Christ. And the worst thing is if pride is what keeps somebody from actually accepting the Lord Jesus, it's going to be poor company down in hell. And so we need to come to the saving knowledge of Christ, and then after we come to the saving knowledge of Christ, we need to realize that we can have fellowship with the Lord. And through that, the Scriptures are teaching us here that we can have joy. Notice that... um, as we look at the verse again here, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Notice that he uses that word that he handled them. One of the reasons that's important is because at the time that John is writing, there is a group of people called agnostics who are going around preaching that matter, anything that's matter, anything that's solid, was evil. That nothing on the earth could be good, everything on the earth was bad. If it had physical form, it's, it's bad. And so they were sitting there saying, Jesus never could have had a literal body. And this was the heresy. This, don't let me confuse you. This is a heresy. It's fallible. I mean, it's, it's, it's a terrible doctrine that these groups were saying. And John is using, God the Holy Spirit used him to use these verses about how they even handled the Lord Jesus both before the uh, death on the cross and after the resurrection because Jesus, when he appeared in the upper room, he said, you know, they thought he was a spirit and he ate food in front of them and said, come handle me because uh, the spirit doesn't have a body. But why is it so critical that the Lord had a body? Well, if he didn't have a body, he couldn't have been tempted. And if he couldn't have been tempted, he couldn't have resisted the temptation. And because of that, he couldn't have been our substitute on the cross.
So it's real critical, and John's addressing this. This is a heresy of its day, and I'm sure there's folks even today that try to you know come up with different things. But Jesus had a literal body. He had the, he was tempted in all ways, but without sin. But also, as we get to thinking about our great high priest and the fact that he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. But when we come to him with our frailties and our weaknesses. He knows how we feel. He knows exactly how we feel. And that's the reason he can make intercession for us with with the Father. You're not going to a God that doesn't understand. You're not going to a God that doesn't know the feelings of the temptations and the drudgery of life and the burdens and the fears and the concerns. He was exposed to the things but without sin. He didn't, but he knows how we feel. And you can go to him and he understands. We see in verse 3 that we'll read the verse and then I want to read a little story here. That, um, By the way, if any of you guys have much doubts, I'm using some of the notes that pastors shared with me. I, I told him if I was going to continue to do this for a while, I'd love to do a series and wanted to do this little book, and he had shared with me uh, some notes. So uh, if you ever think I'm off on left field, you can just, you know where the information's coming from to a large degree. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hiding behind some uh, good, good things here. Um, but we'll read verse 3. It says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In the notes that Pastor had provided, there was a little story in here, and it goes, says, um, I read a story of a little lad who was roaming the streets, tired and hungry, and when he came upon a rescue mission, he stood at the window watching those inside eating their meal. Finally, the mission director noticed him and went outside and brought him in and setting the boy down to a plate of food and expecting him to dig in. He was surprised when the little boy started crying. And he said, son, what's the matter with you? And the lad replied, mister, this is a lovely meal and it looks really good, but I have a buddy across the street and he's hungry too. And I cannot be happy until he's eating what I'm eating. And the thing is, what John is realizing, he's got fellowship with the Father. He's got fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And, it's, and he wants to share that. And he's not satisfied until he gets that opportunity. And that's the purpose in him writing this letter. And we see here in verse 3 again where it says, and that's which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. This church that we have here and the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have here is something that really should be treasured. You know, we need to stop and just realize what a precious gift the Lord's church is. And, and to realize that we can... You know, I, I can't remember how many times I've been really tired or something on a Wednesday night and yet came to church and I've never failed to go away feeling good for it. There's just something about the brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Lord and there is an energy that feeds off of that. There is a comfort that comes off of that. 
And then when you're burdened with something, someone you really care about is ill or something like that, you can share prayer requests. And you know your brothers and sisters in Christ care for you and that they'll lift that person up in prayer. It could be you as an individual or just someone that you care about. And there, there is just a, a gift from God, which is the church. And we just need to realize what a precious gift that is and the fellowshipping that comes with it. Just to, Have you ever felt like you're just in it all by yourself? You know, you just, the thing is, with brothers and sisters in Christ, you're never there by yourself. We know we have the Lord with us, but there is something about having someone come up and put an arm around you, uh, give you a smile, give you a hug. Uh, And then sometimes we can physically help one another. There's needs that can be met in the church. But he wants them to have fellowship with us, with the family of God. And in this, in our case, this local church that we have here. And we need to hold it up in prayer. We need to protect it. We need to protect everybody that's in it as far as their reputation. We need to be careful that we're not talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be praying for them a whole lot more than we're talking about them. You know, and, uh, and so he wanted them to have fellowship with us. And then he says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. What makes this place precious is the souls that are saved and have access to the Father. And when you need, you hope and you pray that they're taking advantage of that opportunity to have the relationship with the Father so that they're in good communion with the Lord. That will help them treat you right. If you're doing it, you'll treat your brothers and sisters right. But also then, because of you can lay out your prayer request, you can lay out your burdens, and they can take it before the throne and, and get it addressed for you. Um, you know, I've used the illustration before, and uh, but you know what allows a holy God to just do more for you than anyone else, or do something for someone you care? Well, I think it's when brothers and sisters in Christ asked Him, and then He can intercede, and so. He also says in the verse, he says, And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You can't have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ if you're not part of the family. And God so wants you to get saved, but the only way to get saved is through the acceptance of his Son, Jesus Christ. And then that word uh, fellowship, the definition of it, is it's a partnership. It also means to share, to have in common. Think about it when the Bible and John is sitting here saying that we can have fellowship with the Father and with the the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think what that means to be in common with him. That when God looks at you because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, He looks at you as one of his kids. He looks at you as a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I mean, the more you think about that, you know, God thinking of you as a partner, God thinking of wanting to share, God thinking of you as um, having in common. I mean, you know, the thing is, when you're a member of a family and you're, you're born into that family, you never doubt you belong. You know, you may not sometimes always want to own up to them. You know, no, I don't really know those over there. Uh, 
But, uh, but the thing is, there's no doubt you belong. And God is just telling us through this that through, we can have fellowship, that he's, we're, he's our father, we're one of his kids, and we're a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4, it says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. God is telling us that if we will seek out that fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, what does that mean, I think, in our life? I think it means, what are you living for? You know, what is, you know, there's an old saying, uh, are you living for the things that you'd be willing to die for? You know, you, we get to thinking about the things that we're we're looking. You know, we're so busy, we're so filling our life with. It can be work. It can be lots of different things. Is that going to draw you to into fellowship with Christ? You know, you, you anything we're supposed to do, we're supposed to do it with all of our might. But the thing is, what God I think is telling us is, what's your priorities? What what's on your mind? Is it thinking of Jesus? Is it thinking of God the Father? Is it thinking about the Lord's church? Is it thinking about what you could do to add to the Lord's church, to the work, to the kingdom? And the thing is, if your mind is on Christ, it's hard for the things of this life to mess you up. It, it, just, it just don't shake you to the core like a lot of things can if all you are is focused on these things down here on the earth. So what he's telling us is, is that if we have our mind on Christ, if we have our mind on the brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, if we have our mind on Jesus Christ, this world just can't shake you up. And what is it that steals our joy? Isn't it the stresses of this life? I mean, when you think about Jesus, and if you're not messing around in sin, that's a good thing, right? I mean, it's a joyful thing. And if we keep our mind more focused on those things, and if we concentrate on Christ, We'll find that we can have the joy. We can have the peace that passes understanding. But it comes down to decisions that we make. God has made it available. Jesus Christ has died on a cross. We can be saved. And then after we're saved, we can get into a local church. We can choose to be busy, just like you folks decided to be in the Lord's house tonight. Uh, Get my tongue untied. You're making good decisions, and the thing is, though, what we have to do is when we walk out this door, we need to just realize we've got to keep our eyes on Christ because this world will do nothing but mess with you. You know, as I've said, you know, just like Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of service, the Antichrist, Satan, has the opposite, and the opposite is this world system that we live in. And like I've said in my Sunday school class many a time, the world system is get all you can get any way you can get it, just don't get caught. Would you agree with me? I mean, you look at every advertisement, every advertisement says you ought to get this because you deserve it. What does the scriptures teach us that we really deserve? Yeah, and a burning hell to go with it. And so the thing is, how you look at the world system we have today and everything it advertises and everything it attracts us to or tries to attract us to, and how does it shape up to service? It's the antichrist to it, isn't it? And so when we walk out into this world, this world's going to try to pull our eyesight down. And if it can pull our eyesight down, 
then it has a chance to steal our joy. But if we'll keep our mind on Christ and the realization that this life is just for a season, but eternity is forever with our Lord, then we can have the joy because we'll be focused on the right thing. Anybody have any thoughts or comments? Brother John. Well, we also, church history basically tells us that John was, you know, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos actually twice. And it was a real barren, weather-beaten, just not a good place at all. And this, most people believe that he had been been exiled to Patmos. All the destitution of an 80-year-old man out there on that island with no, no provision, no nothing. And this, he had been released from that, and that's when he wrote this epistle. Later, he's exiled again to the Isle of Patmos, and that's when he writes the book of Revelation. But to talk about that you can have joy, most of us, if we are 80-something years old and had spent a year or two or three on a destitute island just totally abandoned and everything else, it had been hard not to come back bitter. But he comes back talking about the joy that we can have. And it doesn't happen by accident, though, but it comes by a conscious decision of just realizing what's in my best interest. I mean, be selfish about it. You know, just be selfish about it. And just realize what's in my best interest. And my best interest is get as close to my Savior as I can get, get as close to the Lord's work as I can get, invest myself in it, and keep my eyes on Christ and have the joy that can come from that, that relationship with him, knowing that my God is in charge, and my God loves me, and my God's proved it by sending Jesus Christ to die for me. Anybody else have any thoughts before we close in a word of prayer? Brother Earl, could I get you then to close this in a word of prayer?